on for Virgin or the whack one, and it's a beautiful goal! What a morning after the night before city hammered at west ham we pick over the pieces of what happened at the london stadium and then look forward let's be positive just for a minute maybe and look forward to norwich on saturday all this and more on for fox sake Welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby. And uh, Rob, what time is it? I was going to say, good morning. Uh, and we don't normally time check things, but we are recording. Uh, we, we Normally on this podcast, we like to leave a little bit of time after the previous match to let the dust settle, pick up any other stories that might develop after, after a day or two. Here we are, 7.30am Tuesday morning. Looks like we couldn't wait to get in our chat about the West Ham game, but in reality, I'm going on holiday to the Lake District. So we're both being very dedicated to you for Fox 8 listeners and doing a 7.30am podcast. On your day off, Pete, as well. Sorry. It's my day off. The only day off I've had for, I don't know, a couple of weeks or something. And I know 7.30 is not exactly mega, mega early, but... When it's your day off and when you've just witnessed one of the most horrific away performances and results in Leicester City's recent history when there hasn't been some kind of excuse behind the scenes because players have gone partying or whatever, then uh, I'm looking at you last year away at West Ham. It's uh, it's not really the, the, the best of mornings to jump out of bed and go, right, let's, let's do for fuck's sake. If it was 4-0 City, then uh, it would have been all right, wouldn't it? But uh, never mind, we are here. Uh, that's how dedicated we are, do you know what I mean? Um, anyway, I suppose we're going to have to really talk about it, aren't we? What what a shocker. And where do you start? Do you go, right, you look at City? Do you look at West Ham and go straight off the bat and say, they, first of all, I think is is probably the best way of looking at it. They were awesome. Right, and this is not going to take anything away from City because we'll look at the the, the issues there. Uh, if there are any, again, second game of the season. Um, but I, I will go straight off the bat and thought I thought West Ham were excellent, absolutely excellent. Uh, we obviously centre forwards tremendous. Uh, we gifted them a few goals, and all round they were stronger. They looked. Um, I want to say they look fitter, they look sharper, um, and I wouldn't say they look quicker, but it just looked like they had full belief in what they were doing, and also it looked to me that it was a side, it looked to me like a, say a top four, top five, top six side, taking on a lower league opposition, it looked like West Ham were the natural favourites. And they behaved in that way. We are the favourites. We're going to win this game. If we play this way, we play aggressive, we can beat these. These are just 
13th, 14th in the league. And it had that kind of feel to the game, rather than actually this is 5th place playing, what, 6th place, and it's going to be a really even game. Um, after doing previews for the previous two days and all through the previous day regarding betting was obviously with my job, uh, the, the prices were unbelievably close. The same when it comes to correct scores, first goal score, everything. It was bang on the same. Their top man, our top man. And so it was just very, very close. Whistle goes, throw that out the window. It was a bit of a mess all round Leicester's side. But credit to the Hammers because they they were bang on it. They, they were what we were not. Uh, to say that West Ham overall this season will become a, a or a better side than Leicester is is something that's which I think many people will look at and say yeah okay that's going to be the case now that there's still the whole season remaining I, I just think they were they were just at it more than Leicester which is an issue and we'll talk about that but uh, that's that's what I'm going with straight away Rob but rather than kind of completely destroy City bit of credit to West Ham yeah, I think it's a good place to start because inevitably we're going to spend uh, a lot longer talking about uh, Leicester City's performance and picking that apart. Whereas we can just at the at the top of the show give a nod to West Ham. They wanted it last night. They were playing in front of their home supporters for the first time in a long time. It's the first home game uh, of the season and we've seen for for the majority of matches where you'd expect it to be close, the home advantage really has paid off in the last two Premier League weekends and and it I mean that's sort of mirrored with the with the stat that there were the most ever away wins in a Premier League season last season when it was play, played majority behind closed doors so you've got the home advantage there which if it was ever going to play a part in in what you say um is an even fixture which it which it is it's sixth last year versus fifth um if home advantage was ever going to get a team up for it, then it's going to be the first home game back, isn't it? And and you've seen that across the grounds, um, unless unless there are a few rubbish teams like Newcastle or Norwich, where home advantage doesn't really matter. They could be playing on a park and they'd still lose. Um, it, it made a difference. I'm not saying it made the difference. It made a difference. And yeah, you're absolutely right. West Ham came, came out and were absolutely at it. Uh, and Leicester were not. However, what I would say is, uh, and we'll go into detail in terms of the the incidents that happened during the game or the the individual moments as well. But if Brendan Rodgers had got that team in the dressing room at 1-0 down with 11 men on the pitch, then, I mean, it's very easy to sit here and say that, but I don't, I don't see the, the, the dominance that West Ham had for pretty much 90 minutes. I don't see that happening um, because we've, we've seen a lot in the past, particularly um, in the earlier stages of Brendan Rodgers being in charge, that half-time team talks can make the difference um, if the first-half performance hasn't been at it. But equally, sometimes we've seen if the first-half performance has been an absolute barnstormer from City, then the second half they try and contain things in a slightly more negative way. So he, he does seem to have that power to change things quite considerably during the break, which you know not all managers have got, but circumstantially he wasn't really in a position to be able to do that yeah disappointing opening half an hour because it did just genuinely look like West Ham were half a yard ahead 
mentally and physically than Leicester. Um, and and like you say, you've just got to you just got to tip your hat and say, well done, West Ham. They've they kind of. I, I think I watched their game against Newcastle last week and, and it was an entertaining game, but I don't think that David Moyes would have been particularly happy with the, the way that it went, especially early on, with conceding a few goals to Newcastle. So it was almost like they had a point to prove and said, look, yeah, we we, we battered Newcastle in the end. We, we stuck a few past them. We could do that from the off here against Leicester. And we can also say, look, those people, including me, that have said, oh, West Ham won't be top six again this season. I, I can't see them replicating last season top 10 is probably more realistic got out and just gone well have that yeah and this is the West Ham side without Jesse Lingard and they're more than likely going to bring in Kurt Zuma as well so they, they are really building something aren't they they are I thought they were excellent absolutely excellent and when you look at the game and, and you're thinking back Schmeichel made one or two very very good saves this could have been an awful lot worse I completely agree with you. If you go in at half-time, 1-0 down, and when you've got the bench like Leicester had, you've got the Castagna to possibly come on um, if they want to change the formation regarding the back line. We'll see Dakar and Inacho and Sumara. It, there's, there's plenty of options for Rodgers then to change things around. The red card completely eliminates that. And you're then relying on an individual piece of skill rather than maybe a you know a team move then to get in uh, get back in the game and the goal that we scored to get back in the game it, it wasn't the prettiest goal in the world but um, West Ham are always going to concede goals I think they're going to be extremely entertaining this season they're going to they're always going to concede and uh, and they're going to score as we've seen but uh, I, yeah the, the 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 one or two main points in the game I, I think would be the sending off and it would be their second goal the mistake by uh Soyuncu. the sending off i it's a red card it's it's a it's a red card in real time in the game the camera angle you, you can't really see you see the replay and you're like oh it's a red card that that's a, that's a red now the the city players were obviously incensed because they they thought he was pushed and of course he was but or he was levered away from the ball that he controlled so you could argue and and I think you can argue that it possibly was a foul on Perez but I I would just throw that out the window and go right well if it's not a foul that's going to be a red card no problem there's been a lot of chat about I mean talk about moaning when it comes to Solskjaer and Jurgen Klopp moaning about was it Jurgen Klopp said it's it's turning into wrestling and Ollie said it was um it was it wasn't wrestling the analogy he used what did he say it's it, it's yeah Jurgen Jurgen Klopp said it the game's going backwards ten to fifteen years Ollie said it's turning to rugby wasn't it was it rugby he says absolute nonsense I mean the the Bruno Fernandez foul apparently before Southampton's goal it's never a foul he's looking for that. Every day of the week, never a foul. So, nah, nah, not at all. If this is the way the Premier League is going, and there's a slight uh, lap, not lapse, uh, they just turn things back slightly to say, yeah, you can make a change. Fantastic. I think, I think ninety nine percent of fans are like, yes, that's exactly what we want. So, was Perez fouled? Not for me. Was it a red card? Every day of the week. Every day of the week. You you cannot do that. And when he went over to the. <laughs> to the side to watch it on VAR he saw it 
He didn't even watch it once. He watched it half. And I went, yeah, yeah, that's a red. And that's exactly what everyone was watching at home, I'd imagine. Everyone watching at home, well, what's happened there? See a replay. Oh, that's, that's a red card. So he's off. And he's not had a good game. He's not really had a good start to the season. But then again, there's there's a few players in that bracket as well. And you wonder now, by the time Iosi Perez comes back, so three-game absence, will City have another winger? Uh, and then, after the half-time interval, which now Brendan cannot change things around, make a couple of substitutions or, or whatever he wants to do. Of course, he can still do that, but it, it hampers him being down to 10 men. Then O'Kags goes and does that, which it's just it's sloppy. It's, it's very obvious what happened. He's not looked up. Um, <clears throat> he's a little bit casual. And we all love Soyuncu in the way he, when he's got his back to an attacker in the corner and he might do a Cruyff turn. And, and it normally works out. Once or twice he might get caught and then has to win the ball back. But that's fine. That's just a complete lack of judgment. Uh, a little bit of anticipation by Mikel Antonio as well. He read the situation very kind of Varney-like in a way, and 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 really, I'm going to pass it past Schmeichel here. I'm going to nip in and grab this. There you go, and and then you're two nil down. So at the start of the second half, what fifty six minutes, you're now two nil down to a rampant Hammers side, and you're down to ten men. What do you do? That's that is an issue, and from then on, obviously, it, it kind of unravelled in a way that it kind of you know it, it it more than likely would have done. So yeah. <clears throat> what can you do? Yeah, it's 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 as simple as that. Those two those two errors were the game, the red card, and then that second goal. Yeah, of course they were, and it was it was unfortunate timing. Really, there's there's never a good time to concede a goal like that from a a mistaken back pass. But for it to happen just ten eleven minutes into the second half, when when Leicester will have talked in detail at half time about about the shape, about the the style of play that that would enable them to not concede anymore, but also make sure that they were posing some kind of threat to West Ham. I don't think they started the second half too badly, to be honest with you. Um, and that's when you when you're let down by a mistake like that, you know, he put his hands up and he and he walked off and he said fine. And look, if if you're a defender more than any uh, position on the pitch, other than goalkeepers, defenders and goalkeepers, you make a mistake, it gets highlighted because invariably it leads to at least a chance, if not a goal. And how many times, like you say, as soon as you managed to turn himself out of a tricky situation and players up the field rather than your your old school centre-halves, I'm thinking Jerry Taggart's, Matt Elliott's, Robert Hoot's, Wes Morgan's, where, you know, every time the ball would go into the stand and you still have a throw into defence. Soon is excellent at getting us out of tight situations. This one time, it's a lack of concentration. It's as simple as that because... Schmeichel has come to make the the angle for him, and there, there were some commentators and some fans that I've read it, uh, since saying that should Schmeichel uh, have bothered coming that far, knowing and and sort of be he was more aware of the fact that Antonio was coming around. Well, look, Schmeichel is that kind of goalkeeper where there's there's a plethora of reasons why he's been Leicester's number one for a long time, but his ability with his feet, his distribution, uh, is a real plus point for us. So I had no issue with him coming out there. Um, and I can't imagine for a second that someone as gobby as Schmeichel has not communicated to Suyuncu what to do and where he is. Suyuncu's just gone blind and deaf and just knocked it back 
towards the area and, and that's it and Antonio's got got himself in there um the red card I'm, I'm glad you think it's a red card because I was uh I was preparing myself for a, a debate on oh, the uh, right. other podcasts because you know I've I've seen the I'd say the majority uh, of of social media and WhatsApp group uh, messages that I've seen since the game last night the majority of them agree that it's a red card there are some people that still uh, uh, are clinging on to the the foul that was before last season would Perez get a foul for that yes but the thing is he wouldn't get a foul for it before he's then gone and stood on four nails because the referee can't see and blow that quickly and Perez wouldn't have been able to stop that quickly. So in my opinion, that argument is null and void because he still would have done exactly what he'd done before unless he's looked at the opening two weekends of the Premier League. He's seen that uh, that more and more contact is allowed without free kicks being given and he's not gone down for that reason. He's tried to stay on his feet. You know, you don't know. Even he probably wouldn't be able to tell you the actual thought process because everything happens so quickly on a on a Premier League football pitch. But if he'd have gone down like he would be more likely to have done last season, then he wouldn't have been in that position. You could argue. However, I'm I'm totally in the same camp as you about the about the new sort of rule tweaks where the referees are letting stuff go. They've not, for me, from what I've seen, and I've tried to watch as much football as I could over the last couple of weekends, they've not let anything go that was dangerous. They've not let anything go that was going to cause any any harm to an opponent. There's there's a couple where, particularly Burnley, where they've picked a few players up and chucked them a little bit. And I, I mean, proper manhandling you can't have, but... You know, more shoulder-to-shoulder contact, more where a player receives it into their feet and they've got a defender right up their backside. That defender is allowed to make a little bit of contact now and I think it is going to be so much better for the game. So, really, the the fact that Perez is nudged off balance is, is null and void for me. The next step that he takes is the one that, that gets the red card. And this is another point of debate that I've seen on, on different platforms is there an intent there from Perez to stamp on four nails I don't think so in my opinion there is there is no intent whatsoever for Perez to stamp on four nails and I and I don't really appreciate the way that it's been reported in various news outlets Perez sent off for a stamp I mean for me a stamp is intentional it's somebody's lying on the floor. Bam! I'm going to stand on him. This is this is more. In in my opinion, he is trying. He's seen four nails. No question about that. He knows he's there, and I think that's what people. What makes people think it's a stamp? But what in, in my opinion, what he's trying to do is he realizes he's off balance. He wants to protect the ball at all costs, and he is trying to step across the path of four nails to get his body in between four nails and the ball. And, you know, he succeeds in both in both ways there if he manages it correctly because he either then gets walloped in the back by four nails, which would be a foul, particularly if the referee's already half thinking that the previous one was a foul. Perez is going to get himself a free kick uh, and he's going to uh, take the pressure off. Either that or he gets his body between four nails and the ball and he protects the ball. It's just that four nails 
next step comes right into that path where where Perez is going and and once his leg is moving to be planted in that position Perez he's got no chance of getting out of it so I think that's why there was so much on-field discussion from the other Leicester players from Perez himself it took him ages to go off the pitch and I can understand why because in his mind in that in that moment in that intense moment where he's already been barged once and then he's stepping across to try and protect the ball and then all of a sudden after a VAR check he's had a red card I can understand the sense of injustice I didn't I've got to say but I didn't see that bit where he's watched it on the monitor as he's gone off and I can I can understand why he's looked at that and gone okay yeah it is a red card for me there is zero intent but he has significantly endangered the opponent and and it's a red card yeah, it's a red card. I think one reason why he probably didn't go off straight away because I, I think it's his, it's his first red. It's um, yeah, I read that. The, yeah, first red card in his career. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's not really that kind of player who who receives red cards. Obviously, if it's first, but it, it, so it's a bit of shock almost. And he, he thought he was fouled. He, so I can understand why there were there were complaints, but it's a, it's a red card. It it really is, and he is obviously putting trying to put his foot down to then shield and, and probably get a foul from um, from the player coming in from Fornells. But there you go. It's a red card every day of the week. No no problem there. I always, when it comes to tackles or when it comes to red cards or incidents that way, I always switch the shirts. So it's a West Ham player doing it to a Leicester player. What would be the result? It would be 100% it's a red card. There you go. Job done. And then... And the goals, which when we did a podcast, we don't normally just go through every single goal because talking about a goal that you've already seen, you know, it can be quite boring in a way. But all of them, they were, they were, there were the aspects in every goal where you can look at and go, oh, it's a terrible defensive wise. And they were caught out slightly with um, Pereira out of position. So it was Tielemans who came across to try and block the cross for the first. And then the player who was arriving late into the area was not then picked up because that would have been probably where Tielemans would have been or should have been. So they were slightly out of place and he was ahead of uh, Wilfred and Didi. And for one hour, who, who, to be fair, it was a good finish for the first. The second was the the complete lack of concentration. And then it was the Antonio show. The, 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 the third goal, it's a brilliant goal. And you can't, I don't think you can really lay any blame at Soyuncu there. It was just a red-hot striker in form who is strong as an ox and has held off a defender, turns sharply and scores. That's what happens in the Premier League with top centre-forwards. And then the fifth goal... Oh, the fourth... <laughs> could have been five. And then the fourth was... Um, by then, it was just a little bit of concentration waning, not marked at all in the penalty area, and, and, and you score. But it was, uh, again, a game where... It could have been worse, Michael, with probably three very good saves, really, I thought. Very good saves. And and Leicester, the goal back, a bit of a scrambled effort by, by Yuri Tillemans. But it was, if we now look at Leicester, they never really... If, you can see these two sides, they're, they're similar in a way, the way that they line up. You've got the two midfielders for West Ham versus our two midfielders. You've got those kind of three players behind the centre-forward, which, of course, we have as well. And it just looked like one side, they knew exactly where players were, 
And it looked like they, they played an awful lot higher up the pitch. I know Leicester were going to kind of sit back maybe in the first, say, 20 minutes or so, try and hit on the break, etc. Barnes, Vardy and all that. But it, it just looked like they, they were a lot higher up the pitch. James Madison, a prime example, he started to come looking for the ball. And in the start of the second half, he was inside. Oh, he was uh, inside his own... It wasn't actually in the, in the second half. It was in the first half because we were shooting to the right. He was pe- taking the ball off the feet of the defenders. And you turn him around going, right, you've got, you got 15 yards to go to the halfway line. Well, who are you passing to? You should be the guy up top who, who's receiving the ball. And it, it, very ineffective. Very ineffective. Barnes as well. He was running down cul-de-sacs on many occasions. Vardy never really got a sniff all game. And obviously then Perez goes off, but before then, again, largely ineffective. I thought Ndidi was slightly off the pace. Maybe that's just because of the two West Ham midfielders were just, again, at it, on it, and sharper, quicker to the ball. And Ndidi got the run around in many in, in, in many times. I think Tielemans was... Tiedemans is always going to be the standout player, isn't he? Because he's such a good player. He he was the player looking around going, come on, everyone, where, where where's the pass? And then he's, his game suffered because there wasn't really a pass on at times. But how do you look at the Leicester performance? Do you just push it to one side? I mean, this is what you have to do. Push it to one side and you go, right, well, you've got a game against Norwich on Saturday. Uh, a, a great opportunity there to get three points, to put this to one side and to start playing like a side who are going to be challenging for the top four. Because at the moment, and I know we're mega early in the season, but that's just not the case. This was a a real shocker by Leicester. The changes that were made, or people bemoaning the fact that it took until the 81st minute for the, for the changes to be made. But you look at the game scenario, and we were 2-1 down at the time. And then Antonio goes and scores that, that goal, that third goal. There's the game over. So the, the changes were made straight away. They could have been made, and I and imagine they would have been made pretty much anyway. It just so happens that Antonio scores that goal, and then it's too late really to change the game. It, it just happened to be that time. Could have been made earlier? Possibly. I would have. I would have thought with 20 minutes to go, maybe after the goal. So you score the goal to go 2-1, and you go, right, bang, bring the subs on. So their team's like, right, OK, hang on, hang on lads. We're only 1-0 up now, or 2-1 up, you know what I mean? Only one goal clear. They're back in the game, 20 minutes to go. Who's coming on? Iacho. Who's coming on? Samara. Who's coming on? Dak. Whatever. It's um, The players are now coming onto the pitch. That that would have been a good thing, I'd, I'd, I'd imagine, to have done. But it took a bit more time, and then obviously the game was over. By the time they came on, and, and you know, how do you look at Dakar and Iacho and, and Samara? Never really had a kick. Dakar running around. and the, the, the one player who sat there on the bench... When the camera looks at the bench at the end of the game, Dewsby Hall hasn't played yet this season, and I wonder what he's thinking. He's he's not come on yet, and you've got Madison, who's had two very ineffective games. Is Madison going to start against Norwich, a previous club of his? You'd say so, but Dewsby Hall must be sitting there thinking, "Hang on, you know, it's not like we've just gone and won twice and playing extremely well. You know, there's 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 players out there who are." not performing at all and it might be that he comes in then for Iosi Perez that could be the switch that could be his opportunity so he could be starting against Norwich but I would be I would imagine they would start to shuffle the pack now I think after these two games they would start to shuffle the pack 
And even though we do have injury problems, and we all know that, the defence needs to be better. It was good against Wolves, holding off a, a, a pretty rampant Wolves in that second half. I don't think Armati... I don't really blame him for anything. Soyuncu made those silly mistakes. I think it was just a, a, a team rather than, say, an individual when it comes to um, the defence. We know the error from Soyuncu, but overall, do you know what I mean? It's not like, you know, so it's Armati's fault, it's Thomas's fault. It was a whole team was just off it big time and one or two errors, bang. I, I would make changes. Yeah, I would on the defense. Sunchu, <clears throat> excuse me. Sunchu always looks better when he's playing with a a centre back who who is confident, who is assured, who is experienced. And I think the same would go for for whoever was playing full back next to him as well. So if you look at really the fact that you you'd take a Marty and Thomas out of that back four in order to make it our our best back four by putting Bertrand and Vestergaard in. And, I, I mean, we don't know... I, I haven't read too much on the Vestergaard injury, so I don't know whether he'll be available for Norwich or not, but... The... It looks like it looks like it's it's not the biggest injury in the world, but they really missed that established centre-half, that, that Vestergaard or, or a Johnny Evans. That was a game just crying out for, for them, not just defensively, but also to settle down the midfield as well. I think just to say to everyone, you know, you'll calm down for one sec here. Let's, let's not go... Let's not fall to pieces. I think they they miss that because as much as Soyuncu Chu and Amati are, are good players and and can play together, they are not that player. They're not that that leader at the back to say to everyone. And that's not just the, just the defense. That's the midfield and and the forward line as well. They really missed that. They missed Evans big time. I thought during that game they really did. And Vestergaard yeah. as well. I mean, it didn't, it doesn't come to mind straight away. I think mainly because he's just signed. But they they missed that established leader at the back. Well, Vestergaard would have started. We we said it on the prod podcast last week, and it when it was talked about before he picked up the injury in training that that it was likely that that he would come in instead of a Martin. It makes total sense because he, he's a commanding centre back. He he's got vast experience in the Premier League and internationally, and he's exactly the kind of centre back that you want next to Suunchu. Um, Bertrand, I, I don't think Luke Thomas has done anything wrong, but we we have really sort of decided that Bertrand has won the race to become to be first choice left back uh, and provided that he hasn't had any sort of covid symptoms and he's not suffered from it then um you'd expect him to come in at left back against Norwich um I, I'd be expecting I, I don't know whether Rodgers will will work hard on the training ground this week and then say right I'll put out largely the same team against Norwich on Saturday and you can go and write all of the wrongs of Monday night and just get straight back on it uh, against a team that are conceding goals for fun, and I can quite clearly see we'll finish somewhere very near the bottom of the Premier League again this season. Um, he's going to be forced into a change on the right side of midfield, which is uh, an interesting one. You know, Michael Brighton's just signed a new contract. You know that Brendan Rodgers trusts him to do a job, uh, and against Norwich, you'd argue that those are the kind of players that... that <laughs> I don't want to belittle Mark or Brighton, but that that he can beat and that he can get the better of. Whereas you say you put him up against world-class fullbacks and, and maybe not. Um, or it might be an opportunity to see the sort of rare outing of the tandem of Castagna and Ricardo down the right-hand side, where both of them are, are comfortable playing 
pretty much in all three positions on the right hand side right back right wing back right wing uh, and they could work together down that right hand side depending on how how Castagna is looking he was fit enough for the bench last night so it, it does give those kind of players an opportunity um Madison's an interesting one because provided he's physically fit for me the only way that you're going to get him back to to the sharpness where he pulls strings and he makes things happen that no one else can is just by keeping keeping him in the team and giving him games and games and games and getting him to play 90 minutes after 90 minutes after 90 minutes um i think it'd be a huge risk to put uh Jewsbury Hall in from the start against Norwich to to make his premier league debut i i can see exactly what you mean about him sitting on the bench thinking when am i going to get a go uh, and he will get opportunities this season. Rogers wouldn't have named him in the squad and, and kept him if if that wasn't the case. But I can see largely the same team. Um, the enforced change on the right side of midfield will happen. I can totally see, as long as Bertrand's not ill, him coming back in at left back. Uh, and then you'd say Vestergaard if if fit, but maybe it's a, a week or a week early for him. I don't know, but. Yeah, it's it's just a bit of a fr- frustrating one, really. But in terms of the way that we approach it, it has to be sweep it under the carpet, not pretend that it didn't happen, because you need to keep that in your mind and say, look, we're not having a, a, a we're not replicating that performance again, uh, and use that as a motivator for training this week, and make sure that you start in with a lot of intent against Norwich on Saturday, because again, you're going away to Norwich. They have got Premier League football back. Their fans are going to be riled up because they've had a terrible start to the season, um, shipping goals all over the place. So the atmosphere, I think, will be quite good and Leicester need to do their best to silence that as early as possible. Yeah, exactly. I just realised my voice is extremely deep, isn't it? That sounds like I've had about 19 pints last night. It's not the case. It's just because it's early doors. Um, it it always, always has been that way, but there we go. Uh, yes. I was just thinking when you when you were talking, um, trying to trying to change the scenario with the formation. I I can't. I I agree. I can't see it because of the the team we're playing against. I I can see Leicester going with the 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 established formation, making the one change. Albrighton, I completely agree. The only other thing I would say would be that niggling back three issue. If you were going to bring in, say, a Castagna to play in a back three with the other two, that could easily be an option because you've got then your Thomas and your Pereira out wide, your three in midfield with Madison, and then you can bring in Kaleshi and Acho alongside Jamie Vardy. That will work so well going forward last season. Of course, Kaleshi then was the uh, the main man second half of the season, wasn't he, going on that fantastic run? But I would, I would think that is a is a player. I think that's an option. And mainly because of what was going on in the final third of the pitch. Now, we know Jamie Vardy had a really good performance against Wolves, hardly got a touch against West Ham. He really just didn't have anything. And I, I'm I'm concerned about that final third. Madison needs to play. He can play in that 3-5-2. So he's in that position. He's got then help with uh, Ian Acho closer to him and obviously then Vardy. And so I I think that's a big runner. I think that's a big run. Now, what I was referring to with the defence kind of alludes to maybe changing to that back three in, in a sense that it, it wasn't, I don't know this might sound a bit weird, it wasn't a mess at the back against West Ham. 
they were they were caught out for the first because of again Pereira going forward etc and they exposed a bit of uh, space a really good turn and shot and and then at the end it was the, the the fourth goal was the game was was over and then you've got an individual mistake so as a, as an absolute unit it's not like they fell apart completely it, it was and you wouldn't look at them and go do you know what we're going to scrap that and we're going to go to a back three now that's from my opinion whether Rogers looks at that and go, do you know what? We they need help. Those two centre halves need help. So we're going to change it to a back three. We're going to bring in Castagna into that back three. Maybe even Vestergaard could play. Who knows if he does play? That changes the scenario. Maybe he could play in the back three. Maybe that's the way that he's looking at things. Going, do you know what? Cags, I'm going to just put you on the left of the back three. Vestergaard can go in the middle, and then Amati on the right. And if Vestergaard's not a hundred percent. We can always then change it. He can come off, change to a back four. That could easily be an option. We're going to go back three, and then we, that means we can play Iheanacho from the start because he must be looking at things as well, going, hang on, I'm top scorer last season. What's going on here? Again, w- that that sort of talk regarding him, regarding what I said about Jewsbury Hall, it's a bit early, isn't it? That's just that's that's me grabbing at things, isn't it? That's me just kind of reaching for names on the bench, going, mm, I wonder what he's thinking. Well, two games in, it is a bit too much, isn't it? You know, I'm I'm correcting myself here. I'm probably getting ahead of myself. But after Norwich, we'll see where where it lies. And if you just scroll down further past the sub the, the starting lineup, and then you look at the substitutes, and then you look at the injuries, and I'm, I've got the two sides next to each other. Um, Masuaku is is injured for them, and then you do look at Leicester. Bertrand, Evans, Fafana, Justin, uh, Vestergaard. Well, to be fair, they could all start in a best Leicester first team uh, and then uh, Mendy as well. There are issues. There are injury problems. So should we maybe not be too concerned? Do we be slightly lenient on on Leicester because of those issues? I'm going to go no. Because of the size of the squad and the quality that we had, I don't think we can use that as an option at the moment. If one or two more players start to fall, then you start to say, right, let's just ease off here, lads, because there are there's a big problem here injury-wise. But at the moment, I think Leicester fans can be as critical as they want to be with this game. Normally, we are fairly standoffish and go right let's just see the bigger picture let's not kind of go too mad and throw the toys out the pram and you know let's let's not go completely bonkers at one result i'm i'm slightly gonna just go off that kind of track at the moment rob i i think this result is is a real wake-up call and if they do not snap out of it and i know 90 minutes then you know but I, I look at the season and I look at the strength of those clubs in the top four. And even at this very early stage, and I said before the season started, didn't I? It's going to be more difficult this year than ever to get in the top four because of the strength of those four sides. It's that they cannot afford to to fall behind if they're going to be getting that top four or really going for it. And again, there's a million and 12 games to go. But... It is a it is worrying because it wasn't like they were at it at any point before the mistakes or before the the red card were they? It the, I don't quite know what it is. Is it is it the is it something behind the scenes? I don't think so. Is it 
Um, something with the players. Is there issues with one or two of the players? Well, we know Yuri Tillemans hasn't signed his contract yet. I, I don't think that's the case. Um, you, you're trying to find reasons for a poor performance. And I'm just going to go with the fact that I'm going to be really, really praising West Ham here. And I'm just going to hope Leicester are going to snap out of it against Norwich. Because if they don't, then there's going to be issues. And there's going to be big changes, I'd imagine, for the next game. They need to snap out of it. Yeah, I'm not convinced there's anything more sinister at play other than West Ham being properly on it and Leicester not being quite at it. And I, and I think it's just... Sometimes it's difficult to put your finger on, on why or where or how, but really it's just one of those off days that you're absolutely right, needs an instant reaction. And the Norwich game affords that opportunity because, as we said in our pre-season preview... This season's going to be harder, you know, for for many reasons. There's going to be the fact that now we finished fifth for two years running. Every other team that's finished below us in those two Premier League seasons is going to be looking at us as a bit of a scalp. Obviously not um, as much as a top four side, but still looking at Leicester City as the fifth best team in the Premier League. And ultimately... For, for many teams, that gives them an extra couple of percent in terms of their willingness to work hard and try and get a result against you because it's 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 big news uh, and Leicester have got quality players. And um, I was playing five-a-side last night with a, a mixture of supporters of different teams and they all said, oh, yeah, yeah, Leicester looking much better this season than they were last season, done a lot of good business in the transfer window. And, and I said, yeah, I totally agree. And if you looked at us in isolation, then you'd be saying, we're on course for a better season than last season, which is a which is a brilliant position to be in and a point of optimism for us supporters. But you've got to look at the at the teams that will finish in the top four and you've got to say that their recruitment and their spending has been even better than ours and therefore their squads are better than ours. And and there we go. I, I think we, we are still aiming for fifth place, but it looks, I mean, again, you're only two games in, but if West Ham can, can maintain the consistency of the, of this kind of performance and, and keep these players fit, then they're going to be a real rival. And this is, doesn't matter whether it's game day two or game day 38, this is three points dropped to a team that are possibly going to finish in a similar position to us. And you've got, you've got to get up the points at whichever games you can. You can't sort of have a sluggish start and say, oh yeah, we're just sort of feeling our way into the season. We'll get going again in a, in a few weeks. It has to happen now. You've got 38 games in which to get points. It doesn't, it's not like the end of the season, the points are worth more. You've got to get them on the board when you can. Um, looking at our bench, I don't think you can blame any kind of injury in inverted commas crisis. Yes, the defence is a little bit light, but every single player on that bench is either an international, a first teamer, or a very promising up-and-coming um, youngster. Albrighton, new contract, one of the most experienced players at the club. Um, Danny Ward started for his country at the Euros. Ian Atro, top goal scorer last season. Hamza Chowdhury in and around the first team for a number of years now. Dewsbury Hall, very promising pre-season and manager holds him in high regard. Dennis Pratt, full international. Um, Timothy Castagna, full international. Patson Dacker, Goal-scoring striker, proven goal-scoring striker. Buba Samari, one league earned in France last season. I mean, come on. that That's, considering the number of players that you reeled off as injured, that's a great bench. So, I think the luxury that Brendan Rodgers has this season is 
there are very few players on the field who start a game who will now be walking out there going, well, there's nobody nobody on the bench that's going to come on to replace me. I can cruise along here six out of ten, no worries. There's there are players in every position other than out wide, which we've which we've highlighted in previous podcasts. You know, if if Vardy's not at it, there's two strikers waiting on the bench. If uh, Tielemans or Madison aren't at it, there's four or five centre mids queuing up to get on the pitch. It's it's a great healthy position for Leicester to be in, and and I think that is going to be another way that that the players will motivate themselves and the coaching staff will motivate the players and say, look. If you're off it, you're out and you're on the bench. And that is a fantastic position for us to be in because it feels like, and I know that the window's not ended yet, but not selling anybody uh, significant and adding four quality players into that. I know I didn't even mention Vestergaard there because he's injured, but four quality players in the window. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, Really, really promising. So let's try and look forward with some optimism, shall we? Because... You've just got to put this West Ham game to bed now and say, look, we've got a great squad. We've got clearly a lot of talent. We've got an excellent coach. It all sort of gets back on the rails against Norwich on Saturday. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, so, yeah, let's let's turn those frowns upside down. I would go with a back three. I'm I'm convinced now. If Vestergaard plays, if he can play, and I'd play him in the back three, and I will bring... Kalechi on to play alongside Vardy. That's the way I would go. I would go with the three. I think you need to be start playing Kalechi from from the start, which means which means the back three. It works with the defense. It works with um, the forward line, and then you, the rest of the team fall into place. Not a problem. I think it would help Madison as well. So that that would be my option. I would go, I would go with the back three, and then uh, Ian Acho from the start, and he would be my first goal scorer then in a. In a in a win at Norwich, I, th- I think there's the, every chance Norwich could score, but I, I would be, I'm going to go for a two-one Leicester win then, two-one against Norwich for me and um, and Kalechi to score uh, the first. Three nil, come on, turn the frown upside down, get cracking. Three nil, Dakar to open his Leicester account. Oh, Dakar, <laughs> Dakar to start. Uh, maybe. He might he might fancy uh, that you don't necessarily need to to have. I know Madison doesn't necessarily play central midfield, but you don't necessarily need to have all of those bodies in the middle, and you could go four four two. Let let's go back to basics. Four four two, three nil win. Bosh. Mm, there you go then. Strong words from Rob. Strong words. Uh, we've had um, more correspondence from uh, across the pond over in the states uh, from Justin Carlson, who says, uh, "Hey fellas." Uh, I hope that both well. Well, yeah, absolutely fine. Maybe a bit early, but there we go. And uh, he's an avid Leicester fan from St. Augustine Beach in Florida. Very nice. Loves the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, and he's obviously listened to the latest episode, heard the American fan, just want to share his stories. And, and it, 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 he says it mirrors in many ways uh, last week. And, and I think there's many fans over in America would have the same. He goes, he, he grew up playing... Your typical American sports, baseball, American football, etc., and basketball. But his two sons started playing competitive football, and so then he started to to follow the game. And, um, and he's a director of his local youth soccer club as well. And he's a fanatic Leicester fan. Doesn't miss the game and the podcast. Thank you very much. 
and he's been listening for years. He's actually been over to England a couple of times to see Leicester at the King Power. So proper fan here. And um, yeah, just a, a, another fan from the States, uh, Justin Carlson. So thanks for getting in contact, Justin. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. And also, if you want to get in contact anyone, for podcast at gmail.com. Where are you in the world? How did you start listening uh, to the podcast? And also, how did you start following Leicester? Did you, was it? Was it the Premier League win campaign, which I think would be the case for many? Was it before that? Was it a, was it a random game that you caught on TV? Was it the, the League Cup final like Top uh, saw against Middlesbrough and that was the club then that he followed and obviously ended up his, his dead behind the club? So how, how was it that Leicester became your team? Was it the fact that you were just looking for a team in the Premier League and you went, do you know what? Them. They are my side for, for many reasons. And if you know, list them down on an email. So let us know, and you can get in contact as well via Twitter at FFSPod, FFSPod, and uh, that's a really good way of getting in contact as well. But uh, email and through that, and also the, the Facebook site as well. Just type in Fox 8 Podcast, and you'll find us on Facebook. Now, uh, one little bit of news, uh, John Percy, the uh, the journalist who we all, um, we all follow, and he's mustered with his news, uh, he he mentioned Kamal Sower and he's going to go to um, Club Bruges for around about eight nine million euros. So what seven million quid? Say six and a half million quid. So yeah, that, he's not played at Leicester, has he? He's not. He's been at Louvren for three and a half years. He had that an amazing season last year, and we thought we we're going to get a player just come back into the first team setup, and and you never know could could have could have been fantastic. It just looks like it's not going to work out. Money's been offered. And I think it could be the first player of a few who start to leave, especially if they look and go, right, we need this right winger, which I think was always going to be the case. And he's, even Rogers has mentioned it a few times, hasn't he? He wants a, a left kind of footed right winger to cut in a la what Barnes does on the other side. And this would then obviously free up a few few quid. I don't they hadn't planned buying Yannick Vestergaard. That was an emergency signing, wasn't it? So that they need to release a few players. I can see him. I can see Hamza, Dennis Pratt. I can see those going if they identified this right winger, which now without Perez and the issues in the side, that, that kind of side of the field, it might just accelerate a few leaving. But uh, it's a shame because you've got a guy here who's still very young, has had that breakout season last year and, and it was exciting because we've we've just not seen the guy. But if if the money's been offered, you kind of I think you just look at it sometimes and go, Okay, you know, we'll see you later and well, that might be the case. There might well be a clause in there to say, you know, we'll sign you back for say twenty million quid. I know that sounds bonkers, but go and play first team football for Club Bruges and if you do absolutely tear it up and turn into a wonder, then there could well be a twenty twenty five million buyback clause, and 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 we're buying back a player who's substantially better than we're, we're selling. Yeah, well, we haven't seen an awful lot of him, but he has been back for for pre season, and Rogers has had a good old look at him, same as he has with Dewsbury Hall, same as he did with the younger lads that came into the sort of squad back end of last season, like Daly Campbell, Leshebella, those kind of players, and. Clearly, if the club are prepared to accept some money for him, then Rogers doesn't quite think he's got it. And I would agree with you, Pete, if possible to to slip a buyback clause in there 
just as a bit of insurance, really, because if he if he does go to Bruges and blossom in the Belgian division even further than he did last season, uh, and maybe come two or three years down the line, he's actually one of the one of the most promising wingers in in European leagues. Then you've got an option to bring him back, and it makes total sense to do that. And but I think it's a kind of it's significant that it's a sale rather than a loan because a very similar thing happened with, with Leshebella. I believe that there were there were offers of permanent transfers uh, and Leicester turned them down in favour of him going on loan because they want him to come back. Now, So has been away on loan for, three, as you said, three and a half years. And there's a reason, in my opinion, that they're not going to send him out on loan again. And that's probably because they don't quite think he's going to make it to the level required to be uh, to make a significant contribution to Leicester's first team. And that's absolutely fine. And, you know, if you get that kind of fee for him, uh, then great, because that that offsets some of the money that Leicester are hopefully about to spend on a winger. And it just helps to to balance the books a little bit. I mean, if you look at uh, someone like Chelsea, who, despite signing Lukaku for not much change out of 100 million, have still not spent an awful lot because of the players they've managed to offload. And yes, there have been some more, some more well-known players that they've got rid of. But then you look at some of the players from their youth team. I mean, you, you know, they've got about 60-odd players out on loan at any one time, haven't they, Chelsea? But some of the players that they've managed to move on for 5 million, like... Uh, Livramento, they they got rid of. On oh, was he Liverpool? Actually, I'm th- I'm thinking of some others like Guay, who went to Crystal Palace. How much did they sell him for? Like double figures, millions, wasn't it? So they they've managed to claw back some money to spend on a player in Lukaku. But Leicester could do the same there with Soa. With they've got to look at Chowdhury and think at 23, 24, whatever he is, is is a loan move now. Does that have any purpose for anybody? Probably not. So they could go and get a decent little chunk for him and that would help to bankroll in what is a tough financial time for everybody that would help to bankroll a winger how much would Hamza Chowdhury be sold for it's a good question in in this in the current market to a team that really wanted him it it all depends on the demand if it's a team that really wants a destructive physical central midfielder who has got decent experience at, at this level, you would probably... Well, I'd, I'd be pushing for between 15 and 20. Closer to 15, probably, but, you know, maybe, really? maybe with some add-ons. Do you not think? Do you think a bit lower? I had in my head about 9 or 10 million. I, I had about 10... 10 million is about what, you know, I was, I was thinking. Maybe I'm I'm being I'm underestimating. I don't know what he's got left on his contract. That'll be one thing. Yeah, that's a consideration, is it? But what did you say? So yeah. Percy was saying like eight nine million euros, yeah. which is what I don't know what the conversion rate is at the minute. Six seven million pounds. If you get rid of Chowdhury for let's say ten ish something like that, then all of a sudden you've got fifteen sixteen million pounds in your in your bank. It's not going to buy you a winger, but it's going to make a, a, a especially the kind of quality of winger that Leicester will be after but it's certainly going to help you to bankroll it even if you have to say a lot of loans these days require some kind of initial transfer fee you know you've got to pay the team to take the player on loan and pay his wages 
even if it if it bankrolls part of that for another, like you said last week on the podcast, a Chengiz under kind of transfer, then great. It's, it's there is there is I wouldn't say dead wood in the squad, but when you look at the the rules for registering players for the Europa League and for the Premier League, there are players that are going to have to miss out. All right, some of those are going to be like Philip Benkovic, whatever. But the first team squad at the moment is. I would never, I never want to say too big because we've always been bemoaning the fact that the Leicester squad is too small and can't cope with injuries. But at the moment, it does need in order to register all of your all of the right players. It does need a little bit of streamlining, and whether that's get rid of three to bring in one, I think I think it would be good business. I think the key one, obviously, is going to be Dennis Pratt, isn't it? There's your there's your twenty million quid. There's, there's your twenty million quid player. If he goes. It more than likely will be that loan sign. Adama Traore is going to Spurs, or there's, there's a lot of chat about that, that he, he might be going to Spurs, and that's going to be some kind of um, possible loan to a move with maybe big instalments. I think there was a similar deal done when um, Diogo Jota was signed by Liverpool. I think it, it wasn't like it was the money up front or it wasn't a, a genuine loan to then a signing the year after. It was an initial very small fee, and then kind of in thirds. It was a slightly different to what um, what normally is done. That could easily be the case, but uh, yeah, I, it, and we've still got a bit of time in the transfer window. And I, as I said last week, I think it's going to be quite late when Leicester really get going in in, in the in the sale of players and then the signing of whoever. And, and we will see. We will see. We've got um, EFL Cup action this week. Not Leicester, but. Norwich, they're in action this week, along with a, a few other sides. It's nice not to have that. So, um, yeah, we we will be sitting and waiting and see what uh, what happens on Saturday. Then three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Uh, obviously, last night was very disappointing, and it would have been disappointing for a number of sides in the fancy football league. Rob. <laughs> Okay, all change in the fancy football, okay, week two, etc. But here's the top ten. Uh, in 10th place, uh, Matip Inyase is Matt Hansen with 172 points. So that's what we're dealing with here. In uh, ninth place, up into ninth place, uh, Heisenberg FC, Anil uh, Kalaka with 173 points. Down into seventh place, joint seventh, uh, Team Addy is Adam Wise and Lord of the Ings. Fraser Hodgkins, both on 174 points. Up into sixth place is enter team name Jeff Linton, 175 points. Down into fifth place, 2021, Malikandan Kesavan is 176 points. Up into fourth place, <coughs> excuse me, Leicester City, Luke Taylor, 181 points. Uh, up into third place, Team Dalek, uh, Aman Gulati. 182 points and then the top two in second place Karachi Breeze uh, Haifaz uh, Muzat Mil 193 points so a bit of a gap there and then Bean Boys uh, Mariam Prakash 198 points so 198 points Kraki O'Reilly is top of the fancy football league Uh, they got some staggering amount of points there. Uh, 
also a bit of a shout actually to in eleventh place. So it wasn't actually mentioned in the top ten. Um, Khalid uh, Alashali uh, with one hundred and seventy-two points. So actually, he's joint with uh, Matt Hansen in tenth uh, place. But he got one hundred and one points last week. That's incredible to get a hundred. He had Lukaku as uh, as his captain, it seems. But uh, anyway, that's that. I'm down into twenty-third place after <laughs> after my um, my. Horrific week, really. I, I, I had a decent week up until the game last night. I think we all had a decent week up until the game last night. But I had Amati coming into the side because I had a few injury problems. I had Ricardo Pereira and then Harvey Barnes. And between them, they got one point. Pereira ended up on minus one with the uh, the yellow card he picked up. So just a bit of a shocker to have three players and pick up one point. Before that, had a decent week, to be fair. So I had 54 points down into 23rd. And then Rob, to be honest, I haven't found. I haven't looked where you are. I'm, I'm in 37th. I've had a real climb of about Ooh. 40 odd places. I've scored 72 this week, uh, and I'm up on 151 points, which actually only puts me 11 points behind you. Um, I was desperate for something good to happen last night for either West Ham or Leicester because I've got two West Ham players in my starting lineup and two Leicester players, uh, and I hadn't really. I hadn't really done anything groundbreaking. I had Reese James, who scored me 18 points, and then I had a handful of players who got six, uh, and Danny Ings, who got eight. But then um, I was really needing... I had four players in the game last night. Uh, and do you know what? When we were when we were 2-1 down, and we were, it was quite clear that we probably weren't going to win the game, I was like, please, please let Antonio score, because he's in my fantasy football team. And he bags two late goals. Thank you very much to Leicester City for allowing that to happen and making some small victory come out of that because Antonio got me 16 vital points uh, there. So really 16 points for him and 18 points for Reese James was my uh, was my two ma- most productive players. And yeah, up to 37th on 151, which I'm pretty pleased about. The dizzy heights. I think, yeah, the Antonio was was the one player I've not got in my team, and and that's uh, at this early stage is going to be a, it's going to be an issue, isn't it? But uh, there we go. Never mind. The fancy football uh, will continue. And uh, how many players? Let's just scroll down. We've got one hundred and eighty-one, which is certainly more than last year. We had uh, what one hundred and sixty, one hundred and fifty, something like. That. So uh, one hundred and eighty-one players uh, playing, and. Uh, I think there was one or two joined fairly late, but uh, I think everyone just scrolling down here into the 150s and there's some decent scores there. So, yeah, everyone's kind of hit the ground running when it comes to the fancy football. Um, not quite Leicester on the pitch, though. So uh, we will find out what happens this weekend. Um, what was your score, Rob? I missed out on your score. 3-0. Well, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Dakar first goal, 3-0. Uh, well, I'll take that. I'll take that. But we will be back, won't we, Rob, next week? Talking about Leicester's demolition of Norwich at Carrow Road and Dakar scoring and Iniacho scoring and everything's fine. All that stuff last week, all that stuff we were talking about, absolute nonsense. Leicester are back and they're flying and Madison's pulling all the strings and Soyuncu was excellent at the back and Vestergaard was in that back three and we were all right in what we said. That's what's going to happen, Rob, isn't it? Be positive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, that's it for the podcast this week. I'm going back to bed.